Radio Sport Mornings with Jason Pine. The other piece of news that has uh, come to the fore this morning is that World Rugby has scrapped plans for the proposed Nations Championship. They needed unanimous agreement by national unions to enter exclusive negotiations. That wasn't achieved by the deadline. The tiered competition, of course, was planned to launch in 2022, featuring the Six Nations teams, the Rugby Championship sides, and the likes of Fiji and the USA. Chief Executive of the New Zealand Rugby Players Association, Rob Nicol, has joined us for a chat. G'day, Rob. Yeah, good morning, Jason. What's your reaction to this news? Um, probably hasn't come as a big surprise to us because we've been more involved in that process in the last two and a half months, two months. So, um, yeah, look, we're back to our starting point. We thought it was a really good opportunity. Uh, we were very supportive of World Rugby and the national unions and obviously the players looking into this, but the process they ran wasn't ideal. They came up with an option that was fraught with a number of issues, um, and ultimately they haven't been able to get it over the line, which is disappointing. But you know, I do know that the, note that the chairman, Bill Beaumont, did mention that you know, whilst this proposal hasn't gone through, it doesn't mean that you automatically um, give up on looking at what options may be available. And maybe, maybe we needed this one to fall over in order to have people open up their mind to, to what actually might be able to be done. Yeah, I saw Bill Beaumont's comments. Uh, they remain fully committed, World Rugby, to exploring alternative ways to enhance the meaning, value and opportunity for international rugby. Rob, in your view, what is the best way forward now? What would the ideal scenario or something close to it look like? Oh, well, I think um, you've probably got to, got to unpack it a bit and, and go back to the start. Uh, you know, you'll have Six Nations now will get on and do what they have to do for Six Nations. You'll have Sanzar will get on and do what they have to do around their broadcasting, uh, you know, upcoming broadcasting negotiations, and, and, and from a New Zealand players' perspective, we'll play our role working with New Zealand rugby on that. Um, but I think, you know, there is an opportunity for the game's leaders um, to just sit and reflect on what they learnt through the process around this competition option, where some of the pushbacks were. And maybe, you know, look at what is already committed to moving forward around the July and November windows in particular and kind of saying, OK, well, is there, is there another option or are there other options that we could look at that aren't perhaps so, you know, don't bring about quite so much change or something quite so radical um, and we can work towards a, a bigger picture in the long run. And I think so, in a way, it might just be about slowing it down for a little while, casting the net a bit wider and maybe not looking to conquer the mountain to start with, just start to work towards a, a pitcher. Yeah. The, perception, the perception was, Rob, that the Northern Hemisphere sides were those who were, were really opposed to this. Is, is this the Northern Hemisphere countries flexing their muscles? Um, you'd have to, have to check that out. I mean, it's pretty widely documented that the issue in the North was the nervousness around any form of promotion relegation. You know, I think everyone around the world recognises why would you do a long-term deal at international rugby level where you're locking countries out and you're not providing that aspirational pathway which the fans and players and everyone else want, wants to see. So, you know, that clearly became a major, major stumbling block uh, through the process. Um, if, if people say, well, that's them flexing their muscle or not, I'm not sure. I think it's just their nervousness and their, um, their approach to the risk of being relegated from Six Nations, to be honest, and they don't want that risk on, them, on, the, on their shoulders. Um, so they, they, they were struggling to get their head around how they could commit to a competition that, that put, put that there or put that option you know, on the table for them. So I don't think it's flexing muscle. I, I just think actually they genuinely, a, a number of those six nations, just genuinely did not want any form of risk that they could potentially be rele- relegated under a competition structure 
because they viewed, in terms of their stakeholders in their game in their country, that that would be catastrophic for them. And, you know, that, that is what it is. Um, from a Southern Hemisphere perspective, there's still some challenges. You know, that July window is always going to be a challenge with the North coming down and having to play in three different countries. So, you know, the idea, some of the ideas that would be looked at in that, that space weren't necessarily ideal for the Southern countries. Um, you know, the players, you know, we, we, were, we were not engaged appropriately early on. Uh, we were pretty much presented with this model, and then we went back to them on a whole lot of questions in detail, which I think kind of got them thinking and realising they hadn't really done the work they needed to around this option. And so, you know, from a player's perspective, we still have an awful lot of concerns, which, to be perfectly frank, they never really addressed. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sure they actually got to the point that they were able to address it. And they related to, you know, not that, just the fact, do you really want to play this competition every single year? Should it be two years out of four? Um, you know, what's the role of tours potentially moving forward? How, how does it work for Tier 1, uh, Tier 2 play, uh, countries and players in terms of the obligations on them, the commercial model, are they going to get paid properly to play for their country? How are you going to get the Northern Hemisphere players released to play for Southern Hemisphere countries? A lot of that detail, they never really got to an answer on any of it. Um, and, and ultimately, the reason they didn't necessarily get there is because ultimately the unions went in behind it. So... Even if they had all committed to it this week, I guess is what I'm saying, Jason, there was still a lot of water to go into the bridge on this proposal, that's for sure. I'm, I'm mm. not sure it would have stood the test of time anyway. Do you think World Rugby just thought that because the dollar amount was so big that, that the countries would find it irresistible? Uh, I think they got distracted by it. Uh, they got you know, they got uh, basically an unsolicited offer, a really strong offer and, and good on in front and, and that, that group for for stepping up and saying we value international rugby and we want to we, we want to jump in boots and all, um, but I think it did distract them from the detail of, of the process they were engaged in at that time. And um, maybe with the benefit of hindsight, they may look back and think, gee, uh, maybe we should have actually stuck with the process and you know, canvassed other options a bit wider and, and, and brought a few more people with us. Um, but it, hindsight's wonderful in these situations, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, we, we from a player's perspective, um, we were pleased and we were supporting World Rugby in doing this work. We wanted them to look and say what could be done in this space. Perhaps the way they went around it, we've already expressed our views publicly that we were pretty disappointed uh, to start with. And even since then, um, I, I think they've just, yeah, they sort of lost their way a bit, unfortunately. Rob, was there any friction at all between the Rugby Players Association, the New Zealand Rugby Players Association and New Zealand Rugby? throughout these discussions? Because clearly, as you've outlined, quite correctly, you had concerns about player welfare, that sort of thing. New Zealand rugby, I'm sure, would have wanted this to go through. Was there any friction between you and them? No, it's not friction. I mean, we're working with them every day. Like, if you actually look globally, we're probably more transparent and, and, and more constructive in the way that we work together in our partnership than, than most other countries. So, no, it wasn't friction. The, the, the issues that we had raised... Um, and that the players raised internationally, the NZIU were all over, and they had tabled them as things that needed to be addressed anyway. Um, but, but as New Zealand rugby, and frankly New Zealanders do, you know, the, the NZ, New Zealand rugby and, and ourselves to a certain extent, we all rolled up the sleeves and gave us a really good shot because it was a wonderful opportunity. And like I've said, you know, we all wanted to give this a go. And, and they absolutely did that, and they put a lot of energy and a lot of work into it, and they played their part, but... At the same time, you know, they're smart and they've been working on other options and continue to work with Sansa. So, you know, this will be disappointing that they haven't managed to get to the next stage where we could really get into the detail because not all the unions have committed to it. 
Um, but at the same time, they didn't put all their eggs in one basket by any stretch. And, uh, you know, if you talk to New Zealand rugby, I think they'll be reasonably philosophical about where it's headed. Similar to us, disappointed that this opportunity maybe hasn't been taken advantage of. Um, but it doesn't mean we give up in the longer term. Uh, there, there will be an opportunity, I think, to revisit this. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're left, uh, left stranded by any stretch. They've, they've done some really good work um, on business as usual, if you like. And, um, yeah, yeah we're... we're our relationship with them is good and, and we're, we're all working pretty hard in terms of making sure that New Zealand rugby is in a good space on a commercial front, I guess, um, in, in the coming years. Good stuff. And what, what else is um, taking up most of your time at the moment, Rob? Uh, obviously World Cup this year and, and uh, everyone's excited about that. What else is uh, on your plate at the moment? Yeah, um, yeah, the World Cup, I mean, the Seven Series is, is coming to close. There's a, bit, a fair bit of discussion internationally around the future of the Seven Series and just getting the schedule um, right, the, you know, wonderful opportunity to bring the women's game alongside the men's game on a lot more tournaments. Um, you know, Hamilton's going to be great having uh, the male and the female game there, so that's, that's quite, a, a, quite a bit of work going on for that space. Uh, the women's side of the game, you know, like we've got 14 provincial unions now that are running high-performance programs for female 15s rugby players, so that's another couple of hundred women rugby players playing at that sort of high, you know, engaging at that high-performance level. Uh, a lot of conversation going on globally around what the future international structure of women's 15s looks like and out of those conversations which we're engaged in as New Zealand rugby and, and others are we now we need to look at, at, at how we structure domestically as well so that's a really um, I suppose it's just a continuation of that evolution of the women's game which is really exciting and, and we're really enjoying our team are really enjoying uh, working on that and obviously the players are pretty excited and, and the, the team's assembling today I think and um, flying out on Saturday for, for three or four tests. So, um, yeah, it's all go on that front. Uh, collective bargaining, we're, we're getting there on the, the, the agreement to cover next year. So that's on the go. Um, Sanzar's broadcast negotiations are, are, are pretty much on the, on the horizon. A lot of work into around Super Rugby, most people are aware of. Um, got all the teams assembling for Mitre Team Cup soon and Farrah Palmer Cup. So, yeah, I could, I could go on, Jason, you know, which has been a while. It's not too I- bad at all. Yeah. Hey, but are, are you managing to watch any cricket, Rob? Are you managing yeah, to watch yeah. the cricket? Mate, I was up early because, um, you know, for my sins, my girls swim in the morning. So right. uh, empathy with plenty of parents there up at 10 past <laughs> five to drop them off and turned on and, and, and was able to listen to Kane do his do, his, do the job. And, and Colin came in and, um, you know, played really, really well off the back of a good bowling spell too. So, uh, well, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Like Africa... I was thinking back to when the Black Caps beat South Africa in South Africa when Stephen Fleming scored that wonderful century and yeah. what a buzz it was for the country to beat South Africa at home in a World Cup. And, yet, you know, here we are, you know, delivering a, a result after another nice couple of results. And, you know, you'd have to say that the guys are setting themselves up with a wonderful opportunity. And um, I know they've worked really, really hard in recent years and see Kane getting the rewards and, and some of the other players stepping up. I'm really looking forward to the next few weeks, that's for sure. Absolutely, completely into it, Jason. Right yeah, good, good to hear, Rob. Hey, thanks for taking the time to have a chat to us, mate. All the best, and we'll uh, catch up again soon. Yeah, take care, Jason. Thank you, mate.